0: A lot of women are very self-conscious about what has happened to their vagina since giving birth. Um, I think that it is unfortunately something that most doctors tell people that they're just going to have to live with, and then it will eventually, quote unquote, go away.
1: I'm Cynthia Overgard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Tresha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified
2: lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. In today's episode, we're sitting down with physical therapist Tara Gibson, founder of Aligned Life Physical Therapy and Pelvic Wellness, where she works with prenatal and postpartum women in repairing and maintaining a healthy core and pelvic floor. Just think kegels, sex, abs, peeing when you sneeze, diastasis, and what can be done about scar tissue. Let's learn how to strengthen, recover, and tone where it matters most. Tara, thanks so much for being here today. Why is this area of the body that we're talking about, the pelvic floor, so important? I feel that a lot of women just don't understand. And mm-hmm. we'd love to kind of get the background on, on what this all means for women. Well, I
0: interestingly, I think a lot of people don't even know what the pelvic floor is. <laughs>
2: that is true.
0: Yeah, and so you, you have to have a bit of an icebreaker on that because... Um, I know that there was. I heard an interview once on television where um, an esteemed pelvic floor therapist was asked uh, was being interviewed by a male, and he said, "You know, I'm so glad that we don't have pelvic floors, and that's only something that women deal with." Oh. and it was <laughs> it was actually a, a priceless moment because obviously we all have pelvic floors, but let's talk about women for today. Uh, ours
2: are more important.
0: <laughs> ours are <different. laughs> they're very, very important. It is the center of our being. It is the, you know, the essence on a, on a, on a deeper level of, I think, how we, how we identify with who we are as, as women and our femininity and our power that is the center of our sexuality. And it is obviously part of our bodily function that, you know, allows us to have the lifestyle that we want to have.
1: It seems so few women know about pelvic floor physical therapists and the ones who do, the clients of mine who do, rave about it. I think my question is, how are those women benefiting, and why is this something all birthing women should be paying attention to?
0: Well, many women will suffer, unfortunately, more stress than others on the pelvic floor during pregnancy and during labor and delivery. and. Unfortunately, a lot of our medical field is not aware that there is support, physical therapy that can support that process and help women recover from what happens. It is a beautiful process, but it can be at times very damaging, and we need time to recover and repair from that, and this is what pelvic floor physical therapy does. Tara, can I just jump in? Are you actually putting your hands
2: on the women's vaginas?
0: Yes, I'm so glad you've asked that. I think a lot of people don't understand that there is a spectrum of work that's happening with pelvic floor physical therapy. And though this is not always the case by any means, and I never will do treat somebody um, in this way unless they are fully comfortable and have signed a release to do so. But a lot of my work is internal. So I am actually treating intervaginally, sometimes even interrectally, if that becomes an issue, if I'm dealing with a a severe tailbone pain, or a pull that is more posterior or toward the back, and I can't get to it vaginally. But oftentimes, the work is vaginal. So I am, I am working with someone, it's very, very intimate and requires a lot of trust. And I have them gowned, and draped carefully and they're very comfortable on pillows and and my hands are gloved and I use you know a a hypoallergenic uh, lubricant and I am talking them through every moment that I'm working and I am you know, explaining what I'm seeing because a lot of women are very self-conscious about what has happened to their vagina since giving birth, and then I'm gently going in. It's very different than you might, might experience at the gynecologist. It's it's much more of a communication, and so I'm never pushing someone into a state of pain. I don't want them to be in a state where they're uncomfortable with me. We're going very gently. And if something is uncomfortable, that it, I may not make it all the way inside. We might just be treating on the surface. And that might be where it needs to be treated. But sometimes I have to work deeper.
1: And when you're dealing with clogged ducts and mastitis, you're also going to have your hands on the women's breasts as well. Very
0: good point. It's very intimate. So with oh. with their permission and with comfort, I'm treating around the breast tissue directly, gently and directly. And so we work together. Thank are you, you, for are you surprised by that, Sue? I
1: I am. I am. never knew that existed. I really didn't think that. Yeah, I didn't. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so i close and personal. The first it's time very, I heard that too, I was so surprised. Very intimate. But, yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: I... I think there are it's a very highly and quickly growing field. The internal work is just part of our process. It truly is just part of the process. But we look at the the in, internally, which is a very private area, as also just a, another part of the musculoskeletal system, a very intimate part, but a part that can very much be affecting someone's experience in their life and in their function and in
2: their intimate relationships. So when you talk about recovery, what is it? Can you help our listeners out there understand what, what are the long-term sequelae or what are the complications of the pelvic floor that women deal with?
0: So the pelvic floor being, uh, you know, I had not actually identified it as being the area between the pubic bone and the coccyx and between the two sits bones. And we have all the muscles and fascia that sur- and nerves that surround those those very important structures. And so often... First of all, in just the weight of carrying a baby to term, the weight and how that can affect the vasculature and just the organs underneath the the uterus and then the the actual pelvic floor muscles and fascia underneath that and the bladder maybe is and that? the bladder can all be pushed down in a way where their own ligaments their ligamentous support actually becomes overly stretched and can be forced into positions where they need to recover from that and um this is what is called prolapse of an organ if it's dropping out of its original position. There are different degrees of that. Some are more severe and affect function, and some don't. On top of that, through the process of actual labor and vaginal delivery in particular, there can be damage, actual tearing, not only to the connective tissue and skin, but even the muscular layer um, that uh is inside the vagina the pelvic floor muscles that are what we use when we do a kegel
2: that's say. actually very common right i mean it's not very it, it's very common for those muscles to be torn
0: yes and, and to some degree you would say that that is normal i mean i definitely know there's a handful of women that will go through a full labor and delivery and
1: not tear do you know why i mean i always felt it was related to the position that I was in when I was giving birth, but is, sure. there more, is it nutritional? Are there other factors?
0: There can be absolutely multiple reasons for that. Some of that is going to be a genetic component in terms of just the integrity of your connective tissue and whether or not you're more prone to stretch and possibly tear, um, the degree of stress that's happening over the duration of a labor, the amount of force that is being um, applied, any sort of stress on the pelvic floor, especially a long laboring process, can be very, very stressful. And you add to that how a woman has carried um, up to that point can affect the pressure of where the baby is sitting in the pelvic floor and can can lead to it being more at risk for tearing during labor as well. So
2: is it true then that women who are very fit, such as uh, runners, cyclists, weightlifters who have very strong pelvic floors and very tight muscles are potentially at greater risk of tearing because those muscles don't relax
0: to a degree that is true there is definitely as a pilates teacher and being originally being trained in a very classical method where there was a lot of engaging and lifting and tightening of the pelvic floor i was a ballet dancer as well similar concept it's like pull it up and keep it up that strength can actually work against someone when they go to deliver a baby if that the muscles and fascia have been being held in such a tight position for so long that they're not able to fully relax. And that can absolutely lead to tearing. Yes. So it's not just about weakness. It can be about tightness.
2: We're going to talk about uh, the abdomen and the diastasis recti as well, but I think that's a similar concept. Very much so. Okay. let's go into that right now because I was
1: just thinking the same thing. Can you explain, Tara, why and how the core, Mm. the abdomen, plays such a pivotal role in the health of the pelvic floor? What's the relationship between what we think Mm -hmm. of as the core in a Pilates sense and the pelvic floor? Yes.
0: Uh, Well, neurologically, there is a connection... neuromuscularly, that when the deepest layer of the abdominal core is firing will facilitate or what we call turn on um, the pelvic floor as well. So they work in unison with each other and they should. Uh, They also work in unison with each other with the breath, particularly with an exhale, a relaxed exhale, there should be a slight lift of the pelvic floor and a slight contracting of the abdominals a narrowing of the waistline.
2: Can you just give us an example so our listeners might understand that concept of mm-hmm. um, how the, the um, deeper abdominal muscles work with the pelvic floor? Like what kind of activity might somebody be doing where that would be
0: strongly mm. engaged? Right. Well, if someone is, is actually doing a Kegel, if they're trying to uh, stop the feeling of urinating, if we're just talking about the specific activation of that muscle. So it goes v- v- vice versa. When I lift my pelvic floor, which is what that Kegel is, without going into the details of what a Kegel could be, because we could go deeper into that, those deep abdominal muscles will also fire with that. They fire together, so there'll be kind of a lifting sensation that goes through the abdomen. Can you isolate them individually? Actually, Yes. Studies have shown that you can, but that uh, in a, f- a regular functional state, they should work together as a unit. If one is damaged or if one has been turned off, this could be for postural reasons, and I'd really like to talk about that, stress, dysfunctions, and how we're breathing, then they may not be working in coordination with each other anymore, carrying a very heavy baby over time, and then going through a very stressful um labor and delivery process can also contribute to that
2: and ideally we want them always working in conjunction with each other
0: that's right they should both stretch and they should both contract there should be a sense of within a gentle inhalation the pelvic floor should gently drop like a trampoline and the abdomen as well as the ribcage should very gently expand outward kind of in a circumferential circular way very gently. It's not extreme. And then on an exhale, everything should recoil up. Our body is a pressure system. Some people confuse that with a belly breath. It's not about pushing your belly out. It's about allowing the pressure to go through your whole system all the way down through the pelvic floor. That makes so much sense. That does make sense. Thank you for explaining that. It's your yogi breathing. It's your yogi breathing, and it's it's not breathing up into the neck. It's not it's not fully the upper chest does move, but it shouldn't move much. Only when we're running away from a tiger, that's when these other breath muscles should come in. But many people stay in a state where they're constantly breathing from muscles that are not allowing that pressure system to function properly. And it sounds ironic because we we think, oh, we got to keep our stomach pulled in all the time, don't we? No, we don't. (sighs) We need to adjust our posture and trust that it will stay in and with proper exercise and proper movement patterns and it should function optimally.
2: And that is something that postpartum w- women struggle with so much, that that abdomen after yes. birth, of the diastasis yes. recti, uh, to some extent that is completely um, normal. Diastasis is yes. a normal part of the postpartum process, it's supposed to happen, right? But I think Very people true. are really afraid of it now. It's mm-hmm. become sort of this, oh, I have diastasis. I can't do this. I can't do that. Can you help us understand what's normal, what's not, when it's problematic and um, what mm-hmm. not, not repairing it means for the woman's body? That's
0: a good question. I think there, there's a lot of stigma associated with diastasis recti. And for people who don't know what that is, it is a, a splitting apart a spreading of the linea alba, which is the connective tissue between your six-pack ab muscles. The surface layer abdominal muscles on the front, they have this strip of connective tissue in the middle. And that will naturally spread apart during pregnancy. It has to. Every woman will experience that by the end of their pregnancy. Um, and the relaxant hormone allows all of those connective tissues, which I say fascia and ligaments and, and tendons to stretch so that the baby can exit the pelvis. And so the abdomen can expand. Um, but then as the hormones rebalance themselves over time, postpartum, that should begin to close mm-hmm. and come back to its more normal position, which you know, shouldn't be more than about a finger's breadth apart. It's not something to be concerned about necessarily. It's something that I advise people get evaluated by a physical therapist if they can. Not all of the gynecologists will understand the process of doing that. Some may. Some chiropractors understand that process as well, and some, some nurses
2: I, I and think, midwives. Yeah, I think the issue is that they are looking at it and they are evaluating yes. it, but they don't really know when it's a problem and when it's not a problem or if it's properly healing or not. That that follow-up piece of it right um,
0: within the first three months that should start to resolve its normal position and if it is not I absolutely and what does that mean I say about a finger's breath there's specific testing method that you can do to determine whether or not you have a diastasis recti that could also involve a hernia which is a, where some part of the organs usually the small intestine can actually be protruding through that opening and kind of like a tent-like structure popping out through the abdomen. It's not just pregnant women it can happen to anyone who has a distended abdomen. But the when there's the hernia is considered the medical risk. So diastasis recti is not considered a medical condition generally but it's identified as being more than 2 fingers width between the 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 rectus abdominis. If you're lying on your back and you put your finger right on your navel, it's it's not just at the navel, it goes from the pubic bone up to the sternum, but that's usually the one of the widest points. And if you just gently place your fingers there side by side and curl your head off the mat, you will feel whether or not, you may or may not feel, that's something that often needs to be evaluated by a professional, whether or not there is a space that exceeds two finger widths. And it's not just the space Of the two finger widths where you might feel the sides of the abdomen squeezing against them but it's how deep the hollow is Mm -hmm. so the depth as well as the width becomes something that becomes if you're fitting two three or four fingers in and you can go in about an inch and you feel this kind of excess space or if when you stand up not only is your belly kind of protruding forward more than it should after two to three months but you see almost like something soft or something else kind of coming out the middle of it that doesn't feel right to you. Those are more extreme conditions. It can become an issue later. There are women that will have a diastasis recti, never have it diagnosed, and be completely fine. They won't have any pain. They will be symptom free. They may not have quite the physical appearance that they want, because it will often affect one's ability to fully engage their abdomen and for them to have a resting tone where their abdomen is sitting more flat but it may not be serious. What can happen though, and this is why I really advise that all women at least get it evaluated, not to obsess over it, but to, eva- to evaluate it, not just for aesthetic purposes, is that when there's a split and there is, what often happens with women, and this is often associated with C- C-sections, they will lose the ability to feel their abdominal core. So when I have them or when they're returning to exercise, and they try to engage their abdomen, number one, they may not feel it. Number two, it may manifest as a pelvic floor dysfunction, like they may start leaking urine. And it may not be just related, it may not be directly related to the pelvic floor so much as the core not being able to fire in a way that supports the pelvic floor.
2: That's amazing because you talked about just a little bit ago how these two parts of the body must work together together all the time. And if a woman is having incontinence issues, she's going to go to her gynecologist or her OB, and she's going to get um, a diagnosis and maybe medication or maybe surgery or something like that. But really, it could be as simple as not having repaired the diastasis.
0: It really, because if you think of the abdomen and its base being the 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 torso, which includes the abdomen and the low back and the sides and the rib cage, and then its base being the pelvic floor, it's like a cylinder. And it needs to have a proper pressure system, not only internally as we breathe and stretch and contract, but externally it needs to be held. And so if that is not being held from the front and from the bottom, then you're going to lose, you can lose some function. And the other way that that can manifest is in more low back pain.
2: Which is so common.
0: You've even increased um, cramping with um, uh, menstrual cycles because of um, how certain pressures that are happening and the on the ovaries as a result. All of this, I, you know, we're not treating the organs as as organ structures as a pelvic floor um, women's health physical therapist, but we're treating what is should be keeping the organs in their optimal state. So when I say cramping around our menstrual cycle, that's and. It's relationship to a diastasis recti. That's what I mean. There can be many reasons for that. So that was of course, a little aside. But,
2: but usually that's not one that is considered when a woman right. goes with that kind of complaint to a health care provider. That's right. That's right. I had. I have three children, and I would say that it took me a full year, if not two, to kind of get that diastasis back to a normal, healthy place. Yes. And were you
0: guided on what to do?
2: Not at all. I mean, not I, at all. I, I, my, on my own guidance. Okay. But, um, well, I, I wouldn't say it was seriously working on it either, but I definitely noticed that it took a very long time.
0: If you look at the parts of our body as blocks, our head, our shoulder girdle, our chest cavity, our pelvis, our hips, and our legs and feet, think of them like blocks. And if they're tipped in certain angles, or if one is in front of the other, then it no longer has a balanced structure, and the tissues, the tension forces are going to pull on each other. And so especially a pregnancy posture puts one in a position where the most pressure tends to be going out into the abdomen. If they don't know how to correct that or have a sense of what it means to certain muscles should be kept strong number one but the way one moves and the way one stands is very
2: much key and I can go into more detail when that's appropriate. But it's also important for fetal positioning throughout pregnancy right?
0: Oh yes yes absolutely and for just for the baby to feel comfortable. So as we get larger in pregnancy to recognize that we need to keep our muscles active so that we're not just hanging out on our already lax joints and what I mean by that is one tends to stand when they're pregnant often locking their knees turning their legs out holding their low abdomen with their hands perhaps and then letting their baby kind of push forward and their chest kind of collapses and Yet they, you know, because they get tired. Mm. So the correction of the posture, I have women stand against a wall. And I say, walk your feet out from the wall just enough so that, um, you know, maybe a foot to, to a foot and a half. And your feet are about hip width apart. And you just soften your knees a little bit so that you can feel, because what often will happen in pregnancy is that the lumbar spine, the low back, will go into what we call an excessive lordosis, where it will overly extend. So against a wall, you soften the knees and then imagine as you breathe out that you could actually use your abdominal core and maybe the support of your hands to pull your baby into your spine and bring your spine toward the wall so that your tailbone is lengthening down the wall and so you're lengthening the back body and lifting the front body if you imagine your pelvis like a bowl of water you want to imagine not that you can fully achieve that because the baby's more in front of you than behind you but you want to imagine that you could bring
2: your little baby into the bowl (laughs) Got it. We need a video of this, I think. We need a, we need a pregnant woman and a video of tweaking the I position. Like, I
1: like how Tara had to stop to laugh at her own analogy. <laughs> so when you're done laughing, Tara, can you explain what you mean by that? It Reminds <laughs> me of a movie in the 80s with Steve
0: Martin. Uh, for anyone who knows the movie, we won't go into it. But what, what, OK, what, 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 no, no, I don't movie? I don't remember the movie. Someone named Ibwina her soul left her body and went into Steve Martin's. (laughs) So he had this female character in his body who was rather- I think I've seen that movie. Have you seen it? And they're talking (laughs) about a woman named Edwina. And they're trying to find Edwina and there's a bowl of water and he's trying to explain, someone's trying to explain to him that Edwina came out of him and went into the bowl. And he's like, what? She's like, yes, Edwina in bowl. She had an accent. He's like, in bowl? She said, yes, in bowl. He's like, Edwina in bowl? Edwina in bowl. And so (laughs) this vision of some entity that is light being in a bowl. is what that reminded me of. Well, oh, my brother would be laughing with me right now. It right. explains the
1: laughter. So we're put
0: yeah. the baby in the bowl. Baby's going in the bowl. Okay. Edwina in bowl. So the bowl is. You know, we want to balance our pelvis. So, so this uh, this idea that and and. With the round ligament stretching, which is going from the pubic bone up into the uterus, it's going to because if there's a tightness, and some women will experience an actual pain during pregnancy, that's associated with the round ligament stretching. It the will, round
2: ligament pain. That's what. Yes. 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 Okay, so that's and great. the
0: hip flexors, for those who know what these are, the the so iliopsoas muscles and iliacus muscles will get short, where the the y- there will be a falling forward. I'll just say that. Much where the bottom is behind you a little and the belly's falling forward and the back is a little bit arched. And our abs are not quite doing what they should do. But it's not about how many ab exercises can you do? It's about how much correct abdominal activity can you apply in order to maintain a a, a healthy posture. Because when you're in that healthy posture, the core muscles should be turning on automatically, even through pregnancy. And you have to practice it more through pregnancy,
1: but you want to do that from the very beginning, especially before. You also say just try to get out of that habit of crossing the legs all the time, because some of us have oh. that habit. I'm doing it right now, sitting here sure looking at you. Yeah, and me my too. legs are always
0: crossed. So when you cross your legs, It is turning off the hip flexors, but also turning off any core stability. So people become a lot more comfortable. Yes, uncross those legs. (laughs) Now, uncrossing the legs for many people will be very uncomfortable at first. And they'll often complain of, oh, a discomfort in my low back or hips, or it just doesn't feel great. How do I sit? How do I find the most comfortable position that's really optimal for me? Yes, you are turning off your core when you sit with your legs crossed. No more. You can do that's it, but it. you can be but be conscious every time of it. Stop I do that. Yeah, yes, you can do it for five minutes, but know you're doing it. Down
2: to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable, and Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared any time during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code Down to Birth. I just want to pull you back to the round ligament for a second because I know that this is such an issue for women in pregnancy, particularly in the third trimester, and often the response they get if they complain about round, round ligament pain is simply, oh, it's just round ligament pain, it'll pass. There is some part of the
0: fascial system that is overly restricted that is blending in with that round ligament. So if we can take the tension off another area of the body that might be pulling on it, sometimes that can help relieve that discomfort. So for instance, massaging out the front of the thighs, the tops of the thighs, like taking uh, one of those stick rollers, or you can find these on Amazon, and just massaging out your quadriceps up to the, you can just sit there and do it.
2: We got a job for the partners right Yeah, there. we got a
0: job for the partners. Also massaging out the sides of the gluteals. And then practicing rounding through the spine forward to give yourself a little stretch of the low back, which is putting that round ligament on a little bit of slack. Oftentimes, people who are more prone to that splitting of the, of the wall to a degree that it doesn't recover as well as you would like has to do with a tightness on the outside of the abdomen and into the low back. Reaching your arm over to one side and breathing into your side to actually open what we call the quadratus lumborum and the the latissimus line and the rib cage on that side so that you're opening the side body up, then it's allowing there to be less pull on the center of the body.
1: That's a great recommendation. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Step number one of increasing the likelihood of a well-positioned or optimally positioned baby is having a good posture throughout your pregnancy, starting at the beginning, not just when you're big. But it's so good to hear that this is not only, it's not in a silo. It's not just for the sake of your baby. It's not just for the sake of your core. It's not just for the sake of your recovery. These are all intertwined, and there's a reason the body has to function in this way. It is optimal overall, and it's just a habit we have to get into. We can train ourselves to have good posture. Absolutely. We can
0: change. And I think just even if you take away 10% of what I'm saying, it's going to help. Any little change we make in ourselves can shift an entire paradigm of how we're moving. It can be a very small thing. So don't be overwhelmed by too much.
1: Tara, I'd love you to talk now a bit about how everything you've discussed so far um, is the same or different for women who experience a surgical birth or a C-section. And what unique issues those women might face postpartum. Mm
0: -hmm. For someone who has undergone a C-section, or certainly multiple C-sections, and depending on how their body scars, they may have a very difficult recovery. There can be a lot of pain in those initial six weeks of recovery, six weeks to two months. Or it can manifest as another problem a little bit later down the line, like, a urinary incontinence, a pain with suddenly there's a pain with intercourse that they didn't have before. And this is someone who hasn't delivered vaginally. I mean, that will definitely can go hand in hand with someone who's had a vaginal delivery Uh, or certainly low back pain, hip pain. I've even had women come in and see me. They've had a neck pain that once we treated the cesarean scar, the neck pain subsided headaches, another one. I mean, this is what I mean by the fascia, which is the connective tissue and scar tissue being, um, you know, part of that system that it will tug, it tugs on the system. So when we think about a C-section scar, what you see on the surface is like the tip of an iceberg. And for some women, and just by assessing it, I can tell, I've had women come in and I've felt their scar and I've said, you know what, your scar is fine. It's doing its job. I don't think it's the source of your problem. And there are other women that come in and I can feel, it's not just what it looks like on the outside. I can There's feel so how many deep. many layers deep. Right? Yes, it's it's like it's wrapped itself around their poor organs and, and their vasculature and their nerves and that sounds horrible, but it really can do that. It can kind of adhere itself and um, and grow like ivy in that sense. It can become very thick and that's when it needs to be manually moved in order for someone to reconnect to a healthy posture for one thing a lot of times with a c-section scar or from a c-section women will be pulled more noticeably into that kind of dysfunctional pregnancy posture where the baby is falling out of the bowl (laughs) and they're they're tipping forward and um and they are will lose control they will lose a stability in their deep abdomen and in their deep low back and um that they, because it is so low, it's not only the uterus, but the bladder that can be pulled on. And that can affect pulls down into the pelvic floor and
1: affect the function of, of, you know, urinary control. I never knew before today, a woman who experienced a C-section could have incontinence issues postpartum.
0: Yes. And it's, it is, and it seems surprising. And is it less common? Yes. But it is not uncommon in my estimation i think other pelvic floor therapists would agree and specifically pelvic pain Um, and what i have found is that those are the women that require more manual treatment from a physical therapist initially to unwind that scar tissue and i recommend that people do that within the first six months because by a year that scar tissue is set. Can you break a little bit of its borders off of the surrounding structures? Yes, but it's no longer laying down fibers. So you want to do this early on. So
2: how is a woman to know? I mean, if she doesn't have vaginal pain or maybe she Mm -hmm. hasn't had, probably not had a pap smear or she hasn't returned to having intercourse or she's not having um, incontinence, how does she know that she might have some of this scarring problem and needing it be in need of treatment?
0: Well, first of all, for the first three to four weeks, you don't want to mess with that scar too much. Uh, I mean, as a therapist, I could do some gentle work on it. But I often say, let's let it, let's it, just let it heal for a month. Um, some therapists may feel a little differently about that. But I like to start working after a month to six weeks on a C-section scar. What someone can do, so they want to leave it alone, basically. But assuming it's not infected and everything seems to be healing well. If a woman is comfortable, she can go down there at about six weeks and touch that scar and and gently try to move it from side to side or up and down and feel, does it have the same uh, pliability and ability to, to move, even though it's a little bit thicker, than, say, the tissue just above it or on the sides? Um, that might be an indicator that you want somebody to take a look at it. Also, they may have a problem feeling their abdominal core because, again, because of that stitching, it is pulling, they're cutting through the abdominal muscles. Right. There's no way around that. And so it loses some of its ability to function as a core stabilizing system. And oftentimes, we have to loosen that in order for the muscles to have their
2: proper length tension relationship again. Should women who have cesarean sections, are they, are, should they be um, more inclined to get Physical therapy afterward for pelvic floor and abdominal dysfunction. And the thing
0: is, many of them will be fine. So it's relatively fine. They may have a dysfunction that shows up 10 years later because of just a posture that they've been pulled in. But they weren't having dysfunctions before that. However, I advise... At some point, that C-section scar, in my experience, for a good fifty percent of the women, is going to cause a problem. If they, it's worth at least having someone evaluate it. I mean, just it's, it's, get an evaluation. It sounds like
2: they're at higher risk,
0: and they usually need to wait about six weeks to be cleared by their doctor before you would come see a physical therapist for that.
2: So, Tara, can we just mm-hmm. talk about Kegels for a minute? Because it's such a um, everybody knows about Kegels. But I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about how to do a Kegel. Should I do a Kegel? Well, I've heard even some women say that they they were told they weren't supposed to Kegel. So right. And and let's the get answer, skinny on Kegels.
0: The answer is that truly, we all women should be able to perform a, a proper Kegel and be able to fully relax their pelvic floor as well. Kegels are are very important to be able to do because they are essentially the activation of the pelvic floor. What tends to happen with women because of postural changes and stress and breathing dysfunctions is that the the pelvic floor muscles aren't functioning properly. So they'll tend to stay either in a position where they're completely turned off and they just are no longer doing their job and then you add the pressure of a baby and a stressful birth and then it doesn't recover afterwards because they never got themselves back quite back together again. And that will lead to an incontinence. And then there is the, the dysfunction that I find more commonly, frankly, which is a pelvic floor that is locked in a tight position. And now so anyone who's listening right now, if you just take a minute in the position you're sitting in and notice, if you try to do if you notice your pelvic floor, the muscles around in the vagina and around the urethra, are they active? Or are they relaxed also around the anus? Because what I find, and you may not notice it in this moment, but I'd encourage everyone to pay attention to this throughout their day. When you're stressed, or based on how you're sitting, do you ever notice, and it can depend on a personality type too, and the job you're doing, are you holding? I don't want you to hold your pelvic floor. You want to feel a sense of releasing it down so that you can activate it when you need it. You want to find when you're sitting, you can lean back, but whenever possible, bring yourself up so that you're on top of your sit bones, almost slightly in front of them so that it's the triangle space between your pubic bones and, and your pubic bone and your sit bones. Relax your tailbone so you're not tightening your back muscles. And right there, your feet should be planted on the ground and your legs should not be squeezing together. So give yourself a base. And in that base, if you start to think of, this is a proper Kegel, closing the front of the vagina almost right by the urethra or the or the clitoral area almost like you're doing a kiss like a pucker like a little squeeze at the front and then start to lift internally you should be able to feel that a little better when you're right on top of the pelvic floor and then can you hold that for 10 seconds without it being a huge effort do you notice whether your low abdominals are coming on with it or not and if that is an effort, then that means something might need to be reorganized. And then after 10 seconds, can you completely, slowly, with control, let it go all the way down? That is a proprioceptive training, proprioceptive, your ability to feel what's happening in your body.
1: I think the biggest misunderstanding on Kegels is the release part of it. Is that what you're finding? Very much so.
0: A lot of women can feel themselves activate, but they can't even feel themselves let go. I'm not sure if I'm doing it, I don't know. That's where the, the breathing is a big part of this. If you're lying on your back or sitting, whichever becomes more efficient for you to feel it right on the pelvic floor, and your legs are bent on your back, and you just let your abdomen expand in a gentle breath, that's when the pelvic floor should completely relax on that inhalation, when you're doing it as an exercise. And then as you exhale, on that relaxed exhale, you should be able to feel and and consciously do it, a closing of the base and a drawing in and up, not to a point where you're shivering, but to where you can feel, can I go through steps like point one, two, three, four? four, five, that's usually deep enough. And can I put that back down? And just being able to feel that difference is something that you can practice. I have people just count to five as they lift or 10, and then reverse that down to the rhythm of their breath. And to do that 10 times is a great way to practice your Kegel. Now, if you're having incontinence issues, a solution can be quick Kegels where you're not thinking about any of the details I just said, but when you feel you have to go and you're not sure if you can hold it, key in the door, water's running, you relax, first of all,
2: and you just do a series of 10 quick squeeze, pulses, pulse, pulse, pulse. That uh, might also be appropriate, or correct me if I'm wrong, but for women who are newly postpartum, because it would be very hard for them at that point to hold it. Absolutely. And quick to build the strength. Yes.
0: And quick kegels are safe to do in that sense, as long as there is not any, you know, significant tearing that just needs a little bit more time to heal. You don't want to be in pain when you do it.
1: Should Kegels be done the same way prenatally and postpartum or is there a difference between the two when you're recovering versus preparing for vaginally birthing a baby?
0: The diff- there is a difference. And the difference is this. As you get prepared to vaginally deliver and you start doing any sort of hypnobirthing, mm-hmm. for instance, or any sort of preparation for the release, for the opening, one wants to focus on being able to breathe in and out and just expand the pelvic floor visualize everything just opening. There should be hip opening exercises to just stretch the pelvis gently so that you can really feel that there's a sense of space there. You want to make sure that there's space and you want to learn by the time you're getting close to delivering that you know fully how to relax that pelvic floor because I find that those, those people who've done too much Pilates, for instance, because I'm a Pilates teacher, I can say that, are the ones that tend to tear more.
2: Or also possibly the women who are doing excessive kegels and focusing on yes, the contraction just the contraction of that's right the, the contraction most is most of the time i don't think women are actually getting that Um, education or advice that they really need to be focusing on the release part of it.
0: Absolutely. Now postpartum, it's important to get on a program that involves some gentle core and pelvic floor activation where there is a little bit more emphasis in finding endurance. So quick Kegels to start. And then as you start to sense what you're doing, you practice holding for five to 10 seconds as you're breathing
1: out. And then as you breathe in, you let it release. So prenatally, you talked about posture. Would you put that at the top of the list, probably? I would put that at the top of the
0: list, and then I would add to that. Mm -hmm. Um, The top of the list is being able to posturally balance yourself in the way I described against the wall, and then taking that away from the wall. And um, also correcting your sitting posture so that you're, u- you're forcing your core to work just by staying upright without putting too much tension in your body at the same time. And that goes all the way through the crown of the head. I haven't talked as much about the shoulders, but you do want to have a sense that your shoulders are resting right over your pelvis and your head is resting right over your shoulders. So that can take some practice. Then the the other thing I'd like to add to that, take some slow, deep breaths in. And as you exhale, I want you to think of just opening and relaxing that pelvic floor. You can even pull your knees toward your chest and open them to the side like a happy baby pose and just Breathe into the pelvic floor and imagine what it is to let everything go. And I would repeat that for five to 10 minutes every night. If you're comfortable, you can be on your side or even in a child's pose, anything that is comfortable. If you're not comfortable being on your back toward the end of pregnancy, of course, and just really feel what it is to let go of those muscles. That's very key so that you cannot be contracting while you push. If you have to push during your labor, I hope you don't. You don't want to contract your pelvic floor muscles while going through the labor process.
1: When you say you hope she doesn't have to push, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, I think that oftentimes
0: we're told by our doctors that there is this pushing phase that happens during the labor process where someone is needing to facilitate is needing to almost force the baby to come out maybe before that baby is ready and so the process of going through labor and when we've had epidurals which many women have unfortunately, you can't feel what's happening. And so as a result, it's hard to trust that your body will naturally do the contractions necessary to let that baby come into the world. And so what happens is people tend to bear down and really push. And in the process of contracting their abdominals to do that, they often will contract their pelvic floor at the same time. And it becomes a a combination that can lead to excessive tearing and excessive force that can just cause tearing because it didn't have the time to just gently stretch in the canal.
1: As the baby comes through, it's an unfolding in the birth path. And when you are pushing a baby, when the body isn't, experiencing that natural expulsive reflex, that gentle unfolding, you're pushing the baby into taut skin and tissue, right? Into taut organs. That's exactly right. And I think often that that is what's encouraged.
0: And so I would encourage mothers to understand what it means to at least relax that area way before they're in that that state of labor so that they can understand what it means to not do a Kegel and then you can revisit those postpartum after uh, a couple weeks of letting your pelvic floor heal.
1: I always imagine that for the women who get an epidural, the sacrifice they're making, the trade-off for that reprieve that they're getting is that they lose communication with the baby. So sometimes your body and your baby are telling you to kind of lean to the left and thereby creating extra space somewhere inside on the right, or you're yeah. feeling everything, but you're also in communication. And we take that breath in and we breathe as we bear down. And then as soon as the baby starts to go into that withdrawal mode, that relax, that relinquish, easing back, like a wave,
0: like a wave, the wave
1: comes forward and then it eases back. We have to kind of exhale, we relax, and we wait again until we get that signal that the natural expulsive reflex is coming on again. And then we bear down and the baby moves a little bit more forward again as that tissue is unfolding. That's such a beautiful image. And I think that
0: that is something that that women can maybe access a little more easily if they understand that they don't want their pelvic floor to work against them when they're going through that process. So before they reach that state, I think it's very important for them to learn what it feels like to have a strong strong control over that pelvic floor, but to be able to say, now it's time to let go. Now it's really time to let go and to be able to feel that and practice that before what we hope will be a beautiful labor experience. When you're holding your child, minimize the, the the standing on one hip. Hold that baby in the middle, and that forces your whole upper back to work. As much as you can, use a wrap. Use something that is supporting your baby in a way where you can have your hands free. But watch that you're not shifting side to side all the time. That will throw off your pelvis. Use these few tools to imagine yourself like you're a tree that's rooted to the ground, this beautiful, proud mother, growing up through the crown of her head. You're gonna be strong for your baby, you're gonna be strong for yourself, and let this go forward with you, because I promise you, if you just take a few of these tools, you will get stronger, and three, six, nine, 12 months down the line, you'll feel different.
2: If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Show or contact us and
1: review show notes at DownToBirthShow.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit DownToBirthShow.com disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself.
2: Take two. Cynthia, I know what your foot <laughs> <laughs> Why you just- does this word come out? <laughs> We're (laughs) gonna have
1: hashtag Trisha can't say hi.
2: She can say hi. hashtag Trisha can't say hi. hi. Oh my god! Just don't, just don't make me start with hi. Oh god! Don't make me start with hi. All right, all right. Take three.